This morning in God's Word, we're going to be looking at what are those things which can distract us from thinking correctly before God and His Word. Because when that happens, you'll find that your faith will falter. And so this song we're going to sing now, you can remain seated for it. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. And so use this as your prayer before we open God's Word and see what He says to us. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. hold us fast. Lord, may we learn now from your word so that we will stand on your word and believe those promises that you've put before us. And when we do, you hold us fast. Thank you, Lord. Open our minds and our hearts now before your word 
And through your Spirit, give us understanding we need. Amen. Well, let's turn in God's Word to Colossians chapter 2. We're making slow progress through here, but it's going. But it's a great book. It's a rich book. And so um, let's spend this time in God's Word. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 to 15. Chapter 2, verse 8 to 15. Such an important message for believers in Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, that is Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, if you looked at that passage and you thought, whoa, where are we going to go with this? Um, bear with me. It's not that difficult. Don't know about you, uh, but are you always hungry? I'm not talking about for food. I'm talking about for spiritual knowledge. And not necessarily about Jesus Christ. But for the new. The exciting are you always yearning for that? What, what is new in my faith? What can I find that's more exciting than what I already believe? Albert Camus, who's a famous dead guy, said this. Listen to this quote. Truth, like light, blinds. You come across truth, it will be very clear. It's blindingly clear. Falsehood, on the contrary, is a beautiful twilight that enhances every object. Just enough light to show you the outline of an object. That's falsity. You see, every generation of Christians faces new assaults on our faith. And they sometimes come in the shape of very attractive ideas. But these very attractive ideas will only be a challenge to you if you're not serious about where you stand in Scripture. If you're not growing in your faith. And if, if you are not full of Jesus Christ. That is, 
sated with Him, completely full and overflowing with Jesus Christ. There'll be an empty hole in you wanting to be filled with something exciting. And when it comes across your way, you'll grab onto it. I'll give you an example. Crystal healing. Now, before I carry on, listen to this. This was put out, and this is given to us by the Unity Church of Practical Christianity. That should tell you a lot. How to be practically in Christianity? Go to crystals and their healing. I'm going to just tell you a little bit about these things. So these are crystals. They hang over someone who's lying on a bed, and they hang them at a specific height, and they believe every crystal has its own frequency and depth of healing. And so you go and you lie there, and then the following happens. If you wish, you can listen to the language now. If you wish, you can make up to three requests of the healing entities. It's a bit like Aladdin and the genie's lamp, right? These requests can be for healing or enhancing your mind, body, or your spirit. Now, what I find sad about this is that there are people crying out for healing now, especially from cancer, and they'll grab onto anything they can, hold, they can get hold of, any opportunity to get healed. And these people put themselves forward as believers. I'll carry on. The presence of the healing entities working. You see, this, this yearning for new experiences. The exciting thing about new experiences. Generally, the crystals invoke a sense of peace and deep relaxation. Now, the author of this says, I have been told by spirit, small s, I have been told by spirit that helping people heal is my spiritual path. And so I do not charge for these sessions. Thank you. I do, however, ask for donations. <laughs> or another form of energy exchange, whatever that might be. But they are not required. These donations, however, help cover the costs incurred by me and Unity Church. And then he goes on to suggest donated amounts for specific times that you are under this treatment. All right, so what's the bottom line of that? Dollars. You think that's just in America? Because this is uh, by unitymemphis.org? No. Go up the main street of Wanganui. A new healing center has just opened up there, and what do they push? Crystal healing. It's right in our good old town of Wonga Vegas. Now, I'm going to give you two modern examples of what the Colossian church was facing. All right, remember we're in Colossae, all right, in our study. They were facing very specific things. And here are two modern examples of what they were facing then and what they were tempted to believe. Here's the first one Christian astrology. Now, listen to the deception. We're going to be told about deception and how old traditions can lead you aside from the truth. First one, deception. Now listen to the language used here, because it's very Christianese. Christian astrology, this is straight from their website, christianastrologers.com. Christian astrology unfolds the lesson of the heavens and makes them plain to those who have an eye to see and an ear to hear. Where have you heard that before? Jesus used those words. 
and those who know the voice of their shepherd, capital S. So if you know the voice of your shepherd, and you've got an ear to hear and an eye to see, then you will come for Christian astrology. You'll be open to it. This is what they say. We consider the rising sign and its stars of primary importance, as did the ancients who watched the skies. So get with it, people. The ancients did this. You must keep up with it. It's not just a new thing, they are saying. I'll continue. The rising sign shows us where you are going, both in your mortal waking life and into eternity. For example, the modern Christian Aries is no longer the sacrificial lamb with a capital L. Now listen to this. But has become the good shepherd himself. Good, capital G, S for shepherd. Capital S. So if you are an Aries and you listen to what they're saying, you become the good shepherd himself. In perfect imitation of his Lord, they say. Can you hear the untruth? Like his Lord, capital L, Aries brings things to life. So if you are like this, you will bring things to life too. He stirs up everything around him. I, I presume that's a her too. Especially the people who may have become complacent around you. So if you are not listening to this, you are complacent people. You need to listen. Spontaneity, initiative, and fearlessness are the most noticeable traits which appear wherever Aries bursts through the heavens. And who doesn't want to be like that? And so, ChristianAstrologers.com say, we joyfully and humbly invite you to partake with us. Where have you heard that word? The Lord's Supper. Do you see the deception? Do you hear the deception? They use the language. All right. It's quite a long intro, but I'll get there. Now, another modern example that the Colossians were being tempted to believe is one that's fairly rife inside the Christian church too. And that is the whole question of biblical feasts. And if you believe in biblical feasts, the Old Testament feasts, please don't walk out because you don't agree with me. Listen to what we're saying first. This is also from a website. They say this, it's time for all people everywhere to be obedient to what Yahweh established for the good of his people. Get in line with the annual feasts of Yahweh and your understanding will multiply many times over. Now there is some truth in that. When we study the Old Testament feasts, we really do learn a lot about how we are to live before God himself. But do we still need to keep them today? That's a different issue. And we'll look at it again next time we meet around God's Word. They say, they continue, His feasts were just as much a part of His law as the Ten Commandments. That's error. It wasn't on the same level as the Ten Commandments. Let us be, now they call in high authority, let us be like the Apostle Paul, who said, and they misquote what he said, I must by all means keep this feast. Acts chapter 18 verse 21. I'll read you the actual verse. Oops, I just lost it. Listen to this verse. Acts chapter 21. Now, 
In the King James Version, you will read, he speaks about the feast, but in no other version will you read it. It's not in the Greek text, it's only in the Aramaic text. So let's listen to this. This is the verse, Acts 18, 21. This is what Paul said, uh, sorry, what, he, what it's stated here. But on leaving, on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail for Ephesus. That's all he said. I will return to you if God wills. Where was he going to? He was going to Jerusalem. Yes, it was going to the feasts, but he was going to meet with a council and speak to them about the Gentiles having to keep to Jewish traditions and how that wasn't called for. So it's actually the opposite of what this person is quoting him to say. You see, you need to know the historical context of Scripture too. Otherwise, the truth is twisted. And so this very same Apostle Paul is the one who the Jews later accuse of preaching against Jewish rituals, of preaching against circumcision, as we'll see today. And then, of course, he wrote the books of Galatians, which spells out that you are not to hold to all these feasts and all the traditions. He wrote the book of Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 and 2 Corinthians, which also speaks about this issue. The very same author they are appealing to in their case. And so they have no case. So those are two modern-day examples of what the Colossian Christians were facing. Now let's get to our text, shall we? Our text this morning says this. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, verse 8. The word he uses there is beware. In the Greek translation, it's beware, be constantly looking out. Be constantly looking around you. Keep a watchful eye, always open, lest anyone spoils you. And the word they use is not spoil as in lest they make you less of a good person that you are, in that way spoiling. It is carry you off as spoils in war. That's the word that's used. Be careful lest someone carry you away as a spoil of war. You've been saved by God's grace. Let someone else now recapture your mind. And that will lead you to wrong living before God. Don't be recaptured is the essence of what that Greek text is saying there. You see, it's our thinking that is captured by people. We believers, but our thinking starts to become wrong. And that's the way we lead down to the wrong path. What are we not to, what are we to beware, watch out for? We are to watch out for philosophy, for empty deceit, and for tradition. Now, this philosophy he's speaking about in itself is not wrong. Philosophy just means a love of wisdom. I want to explain how human beings interact with the world around us, with what we believe. And so, in, in a human terms, we put these things out. And you get Christian philosophy that explains to us, from a Christian perspective, how we relate to life around us. So, philosophy in itself is not wrong. But human philosophy is. And I'll explain what I mean now. You see, it's human reasoning as opposed to divine revelation. And so when I try to explain how life is happening and what is happening to me from a human perspective, but I don't look at what God says from His divine revelation. Revelation was needed because through human reasoning, we could never come to decisions and to um, conclusions 
And so God revealed truth to us. If God had not revealed to us who He is and how He has made man and for what purposes He has made man, we would never be able to explain that from a human standpoint. We have to believe God's revelation first. All right? So, human philosophy is human reasoning disregarding divine revelation. Human philosophy is man-centered, not God-centered in its approach. It looks at me, man, and how I interrelate. It doesn't look at what does God want from me. You see the difference? And that's where humanism comes from. It puts humans right at the center of existence, no God in the picture. Human philosophy. And also, it brings on us the human measure for morality and not God's measure for morality. What do we as humans decide is right and wrong? Not what does God say is right and wrong. And that's why we sit in a society today where we can accept abortion. As a form of birth control, I'll put it bluntly. That's why we're confronting the whole thing of euthanasia. It's because society can then decide what's right and wrong. Society doesn't listen and say, God says this is right and this is wrong. So that's human philosophy. And the Apostle Paul says, don't be captured in your thinking by human philosophy. There are so many churches and people in churches that, are, that have been taken captive by society's standards and society's way of thinking. And that's why inside our very denomination as a Baptist, we have fights about this. The whole gay rights movement. We had to actually, we were at a point where the whole union was going to decide to actually vote pro. And then a man got up at the Baptist Union Conference, spirit-inspired. He spoke words from God's word, and the whole thing changed around. Human philosophy influences us, you see, as believers. He's, the Apostle Paul says, don't get carried away as spoils of war by empty deceit. What is empty deceit? These are attractive propositions, attractive propositions that seem to be true. But all they lead to is an emptiness because no real truth is in them. It's an emptiness of power because it doesn't have the dynamic power of the gospel which changes lives in that truth. It's an untruth. It's empty of hope because it, it leads away from the light of God's presence and all it does is it leads to this emptiness of man's speculation and that which was handed down by man, and that is just darkness. That's what deceit does. It leads away from God to darkness. And then the third thing that we are not to be led away by or taken captive by is empty tradition. Tradition which is just handed down from generation to generation for no reason at all than its tradition. Be careful of it. We'll talk more about that one next week you from 1 Corinthians 1 verses 20 to 25. Listen to what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It sums it up beautifully. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20 to 25. Listen. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish 
the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, you can't know God just through human reasoning. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, that is the gospel message, to save those who believe. So His revealed gospel message is what saves, not human wisdom. Verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I hope that sums it up for you. Don't get captured by philosophy, human philosophy, empty deceit, and human tradition. Those things will lead you away from God. So does that mean then that I need blind, unreasoning faith? I mustn't think about what I believe in. No, it's not what Scripture is saying. It does mean, though, that instead of looking at my faith with man-made philosophical glasses on, instead of looking at my faith and examining my faith with man-made glasses on, which color our study of Scripture and so prejudice our interpretation of Scripture, we come as ones conscious of our own weakness, our own finiteness before God, our own finite human intellects, we come before God knowing that our sin affects the way we think. And so we start with what God has revealed. And we work from what God has revealed into our lives. If I had to come from my own perspective, it's so filtered by sin and human interpretation that I'll get it wrong. That's why we come from God's Word. We come from what He's revealed to us about His Word, about life itself, about His Son. And we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us His Word so that we can put ourselves under His Word in authority. When God's Word says it, I believe it and I live by it. I trust it. You see why we study God's Word? And it's because of this, so that we are not led away by philosophy, empty deceit and tradition. You see, there's urgency here. The Apostle Paul says there's actual impending danger. This isn't just a hypothetical possibility, Colossians. It is busy happening to you now. Look inside your church. There are those who would lead you away from the truth. Don't get sucked in. Church of 2020, don't get sucked in by motivational talks in churches. Don't get sucked in by the power of positive thinking taught in many churches. Get sucked in by Christ Himself as a center of your life and your living through His Word. Nothing else. Why? Why? Why do we need to do this? Why is Christ enough? He says, well, all you need is in Christ. Look at verses 9 to 15. All you need is in Christ. Verse 9. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. 
what do you keep constantly hearing? In Him, with Him, in Him, with Him, in Him is all the fullness you need. You don't need anything else. Why look for it anywhere else? In Him you have all of God, says verse 9 to 10. Why would you want more of God? There are people who teach in churches, if you follow this way of thinking about your faith, you will have more of God. You're not going to have more of God. All of God has been given to you. He's available to you right now. The moment you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you received all of God in you. How can you have more of all? Don't be led astray by that. You already have Christ in all His fullness. And the Greek translation here is, listen to this. You have been completely filled full in Him. How full do you want to be? If you're completely filled full. You see, God has revealed Himself to us, and He has gifted to us all we need in Christ. And He has spoken this really clearly through His gospel message, which isn't hard to understand. Look how Ray explained it to someone on the street corner. And He has explained His Word to us, and revealed Himself in all His fullness to us, finally. There's no new revelation of God. You'll hear that too. You need a new revelation of God. No, you don't. You have His full revelation already. Just believe what you've already been revealed. You don't just have all of God, says the Apostle, verses 11 to 14. You have all His promises fulfilled too, Christ. All His promises to you. There's not one promise from God that won't be fulfilled if you don't go and look for it extra outside of Christ. You see, the Judaizers in the time of the Colossi Christians here, they were insisting that these people who were Gentiles, the majority of them, they needed to be circumcised. In other words, they needed to go through the Jewish traditions if they were to come under the covenantal blessing of God. Now, in the Old Testament, you need to understand, in the Old Testament with Moses and Abraham, the little babies had to be circumcised as an act of obedience to God. And when they acted in obedience to God, then God's blessing would rest on them. His covenant blessing. So Paul's saying here to these glossy Christians, you don't need that Old Testament blessing because you have the full blessing available to you in Christ. And then he uses this analogy, this picture of circumcision, and he says... Jesus Christ has been circumcised on your behalf. How did that happen? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, when He descended in obedience to God to death on a cross, when He was raised up in baptism, uh, sorry, when He was raised up to new life, as we look at when we look at baptism, when He ra was raised up to new life, when that happened... He did that on your behalf. He was circumcised in obedience to God on your behalf. And when you put your trust in Him, then in Christ you are circumcised. And in Christ, all those blessings of the Lord come down on you because He was obedient. You get that? Do I need to say that again? Christ was obedient on your behalf and mine when He died for us. 
And because He was obedient, we receive the covenant blessings. It's not our obedience. It's His obedience. That's the amazing thing here. And so in that long passage, which I said looks quite complicated, that's what He's saying. He's using the analogy of circumcision and Christ doing this on our behalf. And so he's saying to them, no, you don't need physical circumcision. All you need is to receive the circumcision of the heart through Jesus Christ. And Colossian Christians, you have received that. What more do you need? Don't go through physical circumcision. Don't bow to the traditions of men. You don't need those. All you need is Jesus Christ. You see, through Jesus Christ... Your old sinful nature has been crucified with Him. Literally, it says here, you were, you, were stripped, you were stripped of the power of your old sinful nature over you. And that power of your old sinful nature over you was literally pushed aside, laid aside like a revolting garment. That's the language used in the Greek text. When your Sin was put on Christ. It was taken away from you, but it was also laid aside from, from you. And now your sinful nature, which has an influence on us, does not have as much power as it used to. Has it been completely eradicated? No. When does eradication of our sinful nature happen? The moment we die or Christ returns. Whichever comes first. Till then, we are still under the influence of our sinful nature. But it doesn't have the power over you that it would have had if you were not in Jesus Christ. And so he says, and so now you gain God's covenant promises. You were dead in your sins and your uncircumcision before you were believers. That's what that word is. And these Gentiles were outside of God's covenant, and God made them alive in Christ, these glossy Christians. And you and I too, unless you're Jewish here today, you are a Gentile. And a Gentile means one who has to come in under God's covenant because of what Jesus Christ has done. If you're a Jew here today and you're not a believer, you are not under God's covenant unless you come in faith to Jesus Christ today. You need to be in Christ to receive His covenant blessings. That's what Christ did. If you want to receive resurrection life and forgiveness of sin, then come to Jesus Christ. Be baptized in Christ, says the text. But that's not all. There's more for us. All our debt, or, sorry, all of God is in Christ. All the promises to us are fulfilled in Christ. Here's another one for you, verse 14. Look at the text. I'll go back to verse 13. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now there's a really important point you need to hear. What happens with this bond of debt which was owed to God? Where did that start with Adam? When Adam sinned, he opened up a whole bond of debt for humanity before God. Thank you, Adam. And so every single human being that's born is born in 
sin with a sinful human nature. We've got a massive big IOU note to God saying we are in debt to you, God. That's the image that Paul uses here. A note of debt. And what happens when Jesus Christ came? He cancelled, the literal Greek here is he wiped out. It wasn't indelible ink, he wiped it out. He wiped out this note of debt to God. He didn't just wipe out the note of debt to God in his blood. He removed it. He took it right out the way. And it literally says here, it was taken out of the midst of where it was. And then it's not all. He nailed it to the cross. Now, why is that important? Remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross? What did they nail above his head? The accusation against them king of the Jews. And that's why the Jews wanted to change it because they said, no, 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 it's the wrong thing to say. He says he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. And so there he was nailed to the cross with this note, king of the Jews, which was actually reality. But you see, his debt, his record, his accusation, sorry, was nailed above his head. And when we come and we give our sins to Jesus Christ and He takes them away, He wipes our slate clean. He takes that credit note, uh, that IOU note away, and He nails it to His own cross because He is going to take that note on our behalf. It's cancelled. Christ did it on the cross. And now there's no obstacle between us and God. You see, it's not just a simple text here. It's cancelled because of Jesus Christ. So why would you go outside of him and look for other answers? And then lastly, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over over them in him. You see, in Christ you have victory. You have victory in this life over sin if you're in him. What did Christ do to his enemies? It says, the text says, he disarmed his enemies. You see, Jesus' foes were brought into subjection. They were disarmed. The literal translation is they were stripped off before him. All their weapons were taken off them. Fight with anymore. They were there standing in their undergarments in Christ's triumph. Nothing, no more power. That's the word used here. And so when Jesus' captors dragged him through the city and they stripped him naked and they held him up to contempt and they nailed the charges against him to the cross, it wasn't them doing it. It was all, all of God's doing so that the message would get to the world. And so the implication of this to us is don't give heed to the rulers and the principalities. I don't know what your translation says. It could say the rulers and the authorities. All that phrase means is the spiritual beings who are against God and all those who work for them. In the Colossi's case, it was the Judaizers and those who wanted to bring this Greek philosophy into their thinking. They've been disarmed. How have they been disarmed? They've been put up against the majesty of who Jesus Christ is, His divine fullness revealed, and their bankruptcy exposed. He's saying to them, don't believe them. They've been put to open shame. And the picture here is of 
Caesar riding out in triumph, and the captives behind him stripped bare completely, and they were literally naked, walking behind in this whole procession that walked into Rome. Christ's enemies have been stripped naked and bare behind him. He is the one who's victorious. See Christ. Why would you join the naked ones in their thinking? Paul says, why would you go back to such emptiness? What do we do with this? Two points. Firstly is this one. Your deliverance today as a believer in 2020 is in Jesus Christ alone. Your deliverance is in Jesus Christ alone. You see, in our highly biologized and DNA world today, many have become so convinced that that they are simply the product of the forces of nature over which they have no control or remedy. Many believe that. And so everything from criminality to addictions to sexual orientation to sh even down to shyness is understood as a matter of genetic destiny rather than choice. You need to hear me because you'll hear this coming out over and over and over in the policies that are set by governments. You are not just a product of your genetic destiny. You have a choice on how you behave. You see, if you hold to the, for, the, to the former, then it results in a sense of helplessness. No wonder our suicide rate is so high. If I'm just a product of my DNA and I lose track, what help is there for me? Helplessness. No wonder it leads to a lack of moral responsibility in our prisons. Because they say, I was, I'm a product of how I grew up. And that is used as an excuse. I'm not saying it does have no factor. I'm saying it becomes an all-out excuse. They blame the past for what I am now. We see it in our society. And you know, as believers, you've got to watch out because have you heard yourself saying this? I can't help the way I am. I've said that. I can't help the way I am, so that's an excuse for why I did what I did. No. That's humanism that's crept into your thinking. Watch out. You're being deceived. Don't start thinking like the world. You see, the Lord calls us to personal godliness. What does God say? The Apostle Paul declares that all who have been buried in baptism with Christ have risen to freedom from personal and impersonal powers that rule your life. In Christ, you are free from those things. You don't have to be bound to them. And God calls you and I as believers to personal holiness and victory over sin in Christ. So what do we do with that? Well, we bring our fears. We bring our excuses. We bring our shortcomings. Where do we bring them? We bring them to the foot of the cross. And Christ takes them and nails them to that cross because he has died for them. I don't have to live by those things. I don't have to use them as excuses. In Christ, I bring those shortcomings to the cross, and they get crossed out literally one by one. 
And so my appeal to you from God's word this morning is leave those shortcomings nailed up on the cross where Jesus died for you. You and I share in Christ's victory over Satan and all evil, including those bad things we do. Leave them with Jesus Christ. And the second thing is this. Your foundation is in God's word alone as a believer. God's word alone, sola scriptura. I think it's written up here. No. This is sola dea gloria. To God alone be the glory. Don't be lured away by those strangely beautiful. Don't be lured away by, listen to this, by the new word from the Lord. You'll hear that. A new word from the Lord. It's nothing new about it, my friend. Everything God has revealed to us, He has revealed to us. Yes, He might impress on you in a specific situation something that He really wants you to do. It's not a new word from the Lord. God's speaking to you. Listen. Don't be lured away by the fresh expression of faith. You'll hear that right in our union. Fresh expressions of church. God has revealed what He wants us to know in His Word, and He holds and we hold to His Word alone. And if these new ideas that come our way don't line up completely with His Word in its historical and its theological context, and I gave you examples of that, then turn away from it, reject it, run away from it, walk away. Don't even dabble in those things. You will be lured away. That's how strong they are. And we can speak testimony of those who have been part of our congregation in years past who have listened to these things and dabbled in them and walked away. It's real. It's a real danger. Don't sit there thinking it couldn't happen to me. It could, my brother or sister, if you don't stick to God's word and what he's revealed to us. You could be lured away. Their power's very strong, but Jesus Christ has overcome them. So stay with Jesus Christ in your thinking. You see, now here's my little logo. You with it? You ready? You're going to write this down? Don't lose this one. Christian growth comes not by addition to God's Word, but by nutrition from God's Word. Oh, man, it's beautiful. I'll repeat it. So beautiful. Christian growth comes not by addition to God's Word, but by nutrition from God's Word alone. You want to grow? Don't look for the new ideas. Just come back to God's Word and apply this. You will grow. You want new and, ex new and exciting things? Dig deep into His Word. I bet you there's stuff there that you've never seen before, and when you do, it'll light up your life. Don't go look outside His Word. Be filled full with Christ in His fullness alone. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, may it be all about You, all about Your Word, all about Your revealed Word to us. Save us from being deceived and so becoming the spoils of war and being taken away from the light and ending up in miserable darkness because we've listened to untruth. Lord, your word brings us to us as an urgent word to us today. May we hear what your word says and let he who has an ear 
hear what the Spirit says to His church. Amen.